Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Cahan is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman. We have covered lots of exciting things back here in the old caboose, so we invite you to come back to the caboose, sit down, get comfortable. If you want the best view, always climb up and look out the angel seat. And um, we've got some refreshments here, and we, we put some coal in the old coal stove this morning just to kind of warm up the caboose, and uh, we're going to sit here and chat as we often like to do with a very special guest today, Doug Davlin. Now, I first met Doug down along, Doug rather, <laughs> down along the old main line of, of the Denver and Rio Grande Western, uh, running, uh, running on its way down there along next to the upper Rio Grande River. Beautiful day it was and, and a nice chat. And he was sitting there in his house that he owns, which is the old passenger station of the DNRGW. So anyway, Doug, welcome to the show. Good morning, Forrest. How are you feeling? Are you feeling good this morning? Oh, I feel good, yes. I'm and feeling you? good this morning myself. Well, you live in one of the most interesting places in all Colorado, um, an actual passenger station from the Denver, Rio Grande, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's on the, the branch that goes, well, it eventually it gets to Creed up at the top, and that's why they built it, of course, was during the big silver boom there. And say a little more about your house before we get into the rail side of it. Well, <clears throat> the uh, railroad station was uh, located at uh, mile marker 312.12. And for those of you who probably know, railroad markers are measured in miles from the uh, Grand Central Station in Denver. So that's how far we were away from Denver by rail in 1883. At the time General Palmer built the railroad station, it was the actual end of the line. And the reason that he built it and end of the line right there was because he owned a guest ranch just opposite the station, about two miles up the Goose Creek River. It was about 10 years later that silver was discovered in Creed. And at that point, it was decision was made to extend the, the railroad line 
uh, by Moffat, who was then president of the line, up to Creed. And they took him about, I think, six months to make the line go through with the bridges they had to build. And, uh, and then the rest of that is pretty good mining history. And it's a beautifully cared for old station. I must say, you know, walking up the porch there, my goodness, you feel like you're, you're stepping back. And that's, a, that's obviously something you do well out of love for, for, for that station. And uh, so you've owned it for a number of years, I take it. Yes, uh, my mother bought it in 1979, but prior to that, she and her husband, my dad, Chuck, uh, had done a great deal of restoration on it for the owner at that time, who was Alan Phipps. Of the Phipps Mansion in Denver? Yes. Uh-huh, which is a beautiful uh, old mansion as well. Well, now you are on the National um, Historic Landmark Registration List. Uh, presumably that puts you in a position of, uh, oh, I don't know what, uh, maybe someday getting some, some money out of, <laughs> out of historic Colorado. I don't know if that would work or not. Well, I don't think so. I think mostly it's a it's kind of to honor the historic value of the building and, and preserve it. Uh, sometimes you can get some money to help preserve it, but uh, I've not applied for that because I was able to do it out of my own pocket. Yes. Yeah, I understand it's an arduous uh, process. And in fact, I just wrote a letter this week, some people trying to preserve a caboose. And uh, that's what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to get there. Well, anyway, here in the caboose, we always want to remember that this train is pulled by an engineer, and the engineer is Rick White, and we always have to make sure there's somebody up in that engine pulling us uh, here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial, and that you can always listen to this show as a podcast. Just go to KHEN, K-H-E-N go to podcast, and you can, you can pick up about three years of podcast each one labeled as this one will be labeled today but first we got to check check up to the is anybody up in the head end today of this train thank you Forrest um everything looks good up here looks like we're clear sailing for this interview and it's not always that way but it looks good today and then I just wanted to throw a question into Doug um can what is the town of the uh of the station that you own it was uh, a town site called Wagon Wheel Gap. Wagon Wheel Gap. Yeah. And if you go online and just Google Wagon Wheel Gap, Colorado, you'll see all kinds of pictures of the depot. And uh, there are no other structures still standing. But at one time, there, were, uh, there was a great, nice, large water tower uh -huh. and a huge windmill. And I think the windmill drew water from the river to uh, supply the tank for the, and then for the uh, steam engines to Sure. To use. And you may have said before, but let me just revisit just for a moment. What was the, uh, the factor that uh, brought your mom to buy this in that year? Well, 
my parents worked for the Phippses. Oh, and okay. they managed the, the, at the one time Alan Phipps owned the ranch called Lagarita. Yes. And he also owned the ranch across the river called 4UR. And so my mother and dad would live there in the summer and run back and forth. And the depot was placed in between I those see. two ranches. And my mother, who was always interested in history, in fact, my parents started the first uh, museum for Creed in their garage. And that, that museum has now moved into the railroad depot in Creed. But anyway, my mother said, it's just falling down. You need to take care of it. You need to buy it. And she's talking to Alan Phipps. She said, you need to buy it. So he did. And he bought the depot from the guy who owned Cottonwood Cove, which is a tourist spot about 100 yards east of the depot. And so after buying the depot, Alan Phipps then turned it over to my father and said, okay, now fix it and repair it and make it do something. So dad put a new roof in and fixed the windows and a little bit of the siding and uh, put in electricity and drilled a well and put in a well and septic system. And then he leased it out as an art gallery and the kitchen or what is now the kitchen was leased out as a beauty salon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then that essentially disappeared and my mother ended up buying it from Alan and turned it into her summer home. I'll be darned. And how big is this building? What's the rough square footage? Uh, the station itself is 30 by 30, two stories. Okay. And then the baggage room is about 20 by 30. I see. Oh, cool. I'll, well, I'll certainly look at it. I, it's, uh, it's a beautiful sure. spot. It, it, it is. It's, and in fact, it's just up river a ways from um, the, the rail bike center, which is very interesting, too, because I don't you can't ride. You can't ride the rail bike all the way up, up to the station, but you can ride it uh, part way up. You, you know, you can you can hop on the rails down there and pedal your way up. And these pedal bikes are becoming really popular along that whole really along that whole route and um, i don't know uh, doug have you ever gotten on one of those um, uh, pedal bikes through there i know it's uh, something i have yet to do yeah i can tell you that i'd recommend you get in uh at the station and go down to southport because it's downhill <laughs> yeah uh -huh. otherwise you're pedaling uphill I saw that's something. I saw something recently where that's closed for the season already. Um, somebody yeah, caught, sure the, caught the last ride, and uh, we had an interview a few weeks ago with the uh, gentleman who had put this together. One uh, kind of achieved the the right away to do it, and the other guy is the development. De developer of these pedal bikes and mm -hmm. there's only one setup in the west right now then they are very interested in our uh, browns Canyon <coughs> national monument 
And uh, it, it was a very, very good interview. And how many miles away from your railroad station home is South Park, South Fork? Uh, 12. 12. Oh, it's close. So we get to go down. When we go down for us, we'll visit this guy too, huh? Next summer. Okay. Next summer we'll do it. Well, and that's such an interesting history for your for your station and for as for folks just as they drive by on, on their way to Creed. <clears throat> and yes, the pedal bikes, I that, that's closing a little earlier than I thought. Although um, the, we're starting to get a little snow in the high country. And, you know, if you want to do it, any of these places, it now is the time. And but we also I, I was so impressed by by seeing Doug's maintenance of way vehicle. Now, what officially what are those speeders called these days? Well, basically, they, uh, the organization that's it, is, tries to get away from using the word speeder. Uh, All right, I'll it try implies a, a reckless uh, uh, maneuvers <laughs> on the rails, and they don't want that that uh, image. So they're just motor cars. But it, they're usually track inspection cars because they usually carry only two people. And uh, what would happen is the uh, station agent or somebody like him would take his motor car out and inspect the track prior to a train arriving. And if he noticed anything that needed correcting, he'd come back to the station and then they send out a work crew <clears throat> to address the, any problems that, they, that the track inspector saw. The old timers all say that, that that they found a lot more cracked rail uh, that way than is found with the current electronic uh, uh, space company, uh, electronic, uh, I think I'm saying that right, where they run an electronic device over the rails and to see if there's any uh, particularly metal fatigue <coughs> and uh, how does I don't know how metal fatigue even works, but I guess it's it's not easy to detect apparently. Yeah, uh, mostly you'll see cracks, and uh, sometimes you'll find that like the boulders roll down the mountain and land right on the rail and actually can break the rail or bend it, mm. uh, and then sometimes the ties get shifted. And the ties need to be set up so you need to keep the rails engaged. Have you talked to your listeners about keeping rails engaged? We have not. We've had several listener questions about that in regard to uh, Glenwood Canyon, where the rails were underwater two or three times this year. We had a couple of listener questions wondering, well, are they still all right? How can they you know, run over them after they, I know they replaced at least a few sections of rail, of rail uh, in there. Well, there's all kinds of methods. They have extra bars that they can put between the tracks that can draw them together if they're, if they're too far apart. And they also have what they call spreaders, which will push them apart if they're too close together. So you can go either direction, but you always have, <laughs> have a rail gauge and because this is a standard sized rail, standard track sized rail, 
which is 58 and one half inches from inside to inside. You know, and I'm glad that you said that because General Palmer usually liked to construct the uh, Rio Grande Railroad as a uh, narrow gauge. It was, uh, in fact, originally this was narrow gauge and you can still walk down the track and find where uh, the rails had been originally put hmm. on the, on the uh, ties. But then because of the weight of the ore and the amount of ore that they wanted to get out of Creed, it was decided to change the whole thing to standard gauge. Nice. And uh, Doug, what's the, uh, what's the tolerance there? Um, how much in or out? Well, if you look at the rails, if you look at the wheels on the uh, rail cars, mm -hmm. uh, they're about three and a half inches wide. And then they have a, a deep flange, which keeps them on the rail. Right. Well, you've probably got a good inch one way or the other. I see. Uh, but if it's too close together, the flange will ride up on top of the rail. Sure. And then it could fall off. And then you do what they call a derail. Yes. Which is like crashing a car. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, there and um to to not to cry down uh, contemporary practice, but certainly in the old days when you had a section house and a section gang, they knew where these things were likely to happen. They knew on really hot days where you might get a heat kink happening or on extremely cold days while, where you might get a separation from, from cold. And so they, they were kind of on the lookout for their, their section of rail, which of course now the, they, these, these big electronic devices just go for, well, I don't know. I think they probably go forever. I think they probably go 24 seven up and down. Isn't it? That's my understanding of what, what they do. I know, when I lived in uh, Rollinsville in the old caboose, why we'd see them go by pretty much continuously. Even in the wee small hours of the morning, you'd see one of these um, rail inspection uh, devices go by. I think they were manned. I'm not sure. I don't know. Has it, have either of you guys seen those out there? Not me. Not I. Yeah. I, I can't believe anything would be unmanned on the rail. Yeah, I don't, I, I can't either, to come to think of it. No, they must have had a crew uh, out there. Of course, now with continuous rail, um, my goodness, each rail segment is what, quarter of a mile or so, something like that, just a long segment. And uh, so they'd have to go over that long, that long segment. Now, you're, um, okay, I'm not going to say speeder. I am going to say your, what's the correct word? What's the word you you like to call them? You just motor uh, car. Just motor, motor car. Now your your motor car. What year was that built? I think it was built in 1940. Same uh, year I was born. Good year to be born. <laughs> Makes me older than you, Forrest. Oh, by a couple of years. <laughs> by a couple of years. That's great. Oh. I know. Well, well, okay. That that is that is that's it was out there for a while. What was the original engine like? The uh, uh, 
I did not have the car from its original uh, state, but almost all of them were supplied with an Onan two-cylinder uh, engine. And the company Onan, I think, is mostly famous now for making, uh, what is it? Uh, Generator. Generators uh, for RVs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me this, and Forrest, you can probably answer this. Um, was this motor, are these motor cars, are they similar to what they were using for the fire tender on our, uh, on that uh, historic train trip out at Alamosa? Um, well, on that trip that we took, yeah, well, one of those is one of the, uh, one of the originals. As a matter of fact, one I of the earlier ones. So I would guess it was probably built in the 1940s, some somewhere in there. But increasingly, they're doing that. Increasingly, the even the tourist railroads they're having. Uh, oh, I don't know, a couple of these, a couple of these motor cars pulling along behind, and they'll have a fire retardant in there. They'll have, I don't know, rates. Well, well, all kinds of these different tools back there. And and um, so when the coal-fired engines kick out burning embers, and well, they start those embers start little uh, miniature fires along the way, yeah. And they just get right on them and put them out. So that's what they do. Um, and uh, I would guess that if we ever got a a train back through here, I would guess you'd have to do that too. Although. Um, I don't know. One, one for a while there, you could even get a train in South Fork. You could take that train. You could go up to. Um, you could go up to. I think it was almost sort of Main Street Creed, and once you're up there in Creed, uh, you could go to one of their famous restaurants, or I think there are a couple of restaurants very well known there, or go to the Creed Repertory Theater. Mm. which is also very, very special theater, uh, well-known, uh, I think, even internationally. So, uh, so yeah, that, that was uh, a going deal there for quite a while, but uh, not, uh, not currently. And uh, I don't know, might be, Doug, do you have any, uh, any gossip on all that uh, about when those things might come back or? Well, not really. Uh, the, as I understand it, the, the town of Creed was did not want to become another Silverton. Uh huh. And uh, unfortunately, the main tracks went right up through the middle of town, and right up alongside uh, the main street businesses. In fact, many of the main street businesses uh, buildings encroached on the railroad land. And the idea of a big steam engine coming through right behind their shops was not really appealing. So the city of Creed got the uh, line abandoned to the city limits through the Surface Transportation Board. Ah. So the probability of a train coming back into Creed at this point is uh, slim to none. Hmm. But you never say never, you know, who knows? Things can change. Things can change. <clears throat> and one thing that's changing, we 
had a guest on here not long ago talking about changes in the surface uh, transportation board itself. And um, this was a young man, very young, I think he was like 19, uh, representing, um, now let me say this correctly, the Colorado and Pacific Railroad, which is owned, family owned by um, his family. And uh, he was describing the changes there in the uh, Service Transportation Board itself, because in the past it's been very, um, what shall we say, dominated by the class one railways, the Union Pacific, the, you know, uh, et cetera. Uh, and, um, but now it's more taking seriously its mandate to provide a wider, a wider public service than, than that. And so uh, they have come up with some very interesting rulings recently, one of which we won't go into surface transportation board politics here, but just to say that the two new people coming on are, are not currently employees or have not been current uh, employees of the big class one railroads. So that puts a whole different cast to their discussions, a different way of looking at things. And um, so you might see more interest in these little, little tourist outfits and so on like this. Well, now, um, boy, there's so many topics. We've got some, we want to get to some listener questions here in a little bit. But uh, before we, be, well, we, we don't have too much time in this segment. Um, before we begin to move away from this segment, we well, also, we have to see, <laughs> say that uh, Doug is, is uh, the owner of a historic uh, DNRG uh, passenger station along the line, which eventually gets to, uh, gets to Creed. It starts, could say it starts in Alamosa, if you really wanted to push the line, the line all the way back. But um, this, this particular segment, uh, of course, uh, ends in, uh, well, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, Doug, where does this particular segment end for current use for freight, I'm wondering? Well, all the freight seems they originate in the San Luis Valley. And so essentially you're talking Monta Vista, Alamosa, then going over to La Vida Pass into Walsenburg. And then from Walsenburg, I'm not sure whether they go north up to Denver or go east to our Yeah, they, uh, we had him on there. They interchange uh, with the uh, Burlington Northern. And that's where they interchange is in, is in Walsenburg. So, in a way, you could say that, um, well, you, you, you could say that nothing goes really much past this point. Oh, my gosh, we've got these questions to get to. And we're here in my caboose, our caboose, the KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial caboose, always on iTunes, always available as a podcast. We've had, we had a wonderful interview so far with Doug, and we've just get we haven't even gotten to your questions, listeners. We're going to get to your questions, which we'll pass on to Doug. But for what we always say at the end of each segment, we give a great big highball and take a little break. So at the count of three, we'll do a highball. One, two, three, highball, highball. highball.
KHEN is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. K Hen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida.